0: Especially those that are visiting with us. So thankful that you have come to be with us this morning. We hope that we can invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. We look forward to a good sermon this morning. I hope that you'll uh, have your Bibles open as we study together about the prison evangelist. The prison evangelist. Those that are watching online, we're always grateful for you as well, and thank you for being a part of here at central when you examine the life of paul you're going to find something interesting about his preaching and his and the fellow laborers and the one thing that stands out is that they looked for opportunities to be able to preach and to teach god's word wherever they could be found now i want you to consider the prison evangelist this morning and i'd like for us to consider this story or the event of Paul and Silas being imprisoned in this Philippian jail. They took advantage of the opportunity to be able to convert a jailer and his family. Number one, we begin by talking about the the fierceness of the imprisonment. To appreciate these events that unfold here in Acts chapter 16, we must first understand that the setting of the background of the events recorded by Luke in the distant past where the Bible tells us in Acts 16 9 and 10 that Paul received what is known as the Macedonian call according to the Bible he saw a vision of a man and and prayed to him saying come over into Macedonia and help us this invitation elicited a immediate positive response from Paul there in verse 10 but it was then that Paul and Silas and his fellow laborers traveled to Philippi which according to Luke was the most important city in that part of Macedonia verse 12. It was a colony and the Bible says that they stayed in that city for a certain number of days. It was here that Paul and Silas then had the opportunity to be able to approach a lady named Lydia, a seller of purple, if you will, verses 13 and 14. And she and her household were converted to the cause of Christ, verse 15. The Bible then tells us in verse 16, as they went to pray, they came in contact with a young girl that had this spirit of divination. She was a slave girl, and, and Luke tells us, that she had brought her master's much gain or profit by soothsaying, that is, fortune-telling. Now, Luke tells us that the apostle Paul commanded this spirit, the spirit of divination, to be able to come out from her. And when that occurred, her masters became enraged. And the reason was because they saw the hope of their profit, the hope of their gain, is now gone verse 19 you know if you really want to irritate somebody just get into their pocketbook and you're gonna find some mad people right well that's exactly what Paul and Silas did and so these folks were very mad and so the text tells us that they were dragged into the marketplace that is Paul and Silas were dragged into the marketplace and they were accused of being troublemakers there in verse 20 in verse 21 notice what is said about them and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Now, historically speaking, Roman lectors would take rods, and they would inflict punishment on the backs of those who were deemed worthy of this type of punishment. It was very cruel. And this is just one of three occasions that Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 25 of having been beaten with rods. But then the Bible also tells us in verse 23 of our text, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And then we are told, the jailer in verse 24, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison And made their feet fast in the stocks. Now that inner prison was much like a dungeon, if you will. A prison uh, was divided into three sections. And Paul and Silas were assigned to the inner prison. That's like a dungeon or a basement, if you will. And some have speculated that the inner prison, the dungeon or basement, would have had little light. It could have been a, a very difficult to, to breathe, to, to be able to imagine these men being in this dark, probably dingy, filthy environment. This inner prison. Now look with me, if you will, at verse 25. And we're discussing the fierceness of their imprisonment. They have been mistreated, as a matter of fact. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, he mentioned about how he had been shamefully shamefully or spitefully treated at Philippi. That's what he's referring to in his letter to these individuals. And so now we think about, well, look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I want you to keep that verse in memory at this point to understand where we're going to go with that because now number two we're going to be thinking about their faith during this imprisonment there was the fierceness of their imprisonment but now their faith during the imprisonment notice again verse 25 and at midnight paul and silas prayed and sang praises unto god and here's the key part And the prisoners heard them. Had you been in that situation, what would you have done? Would you have prayed and sang praises unto God? Imagine if you can what other prisoners under similar conditions did in days gone by. These two men (coughs) did two very specific things. Number one, they offered supplications or prayers to God. Here were individuals that in spite of their ill treatment, their intense suffering, they were in this dark, dingy dungeon, basement, prison. Their backs have been literally opened up, if you will, lacerated, probably whelps on their backs. They're they're hurting, they're bleeding. They may have been hungry and thirsty as well. It may have been the case that they were cold from that dark dungeon or hot and sweaty, if you will. They were in vile conditions. And what were they doing? They were praying to God. They were praying. Paul had been a Jew and no doubt he was familiar with what David had said in Psalm 55:17, 17. When he said, evening and morning at noon will I pray and cry aloud. Have you ever thought much about how Paul had depended on prayer to God? Read his epistles and notice of the number of occasion, uh, occasions where Paul talks about prayer. You'll find him oftentimes praying for, for others as well. There are occasions when he would write and he would ask people to even pray for him. The Thessalonians come to mind in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25 when he would say, Brethren, pray for us. I mean, pray for us, will you? In Colossians 4, 2 and 3, he would encourage those people to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us. And so Paul was a person of prayer. And I think Paul and Silas both were men prayer, But then notice the second thing that they were doing while in prisonment, dealing with the issues that they were dealing with at this particular time. Not only did they pray or offer supplications to God, but they sang praises unto God. Now the text says that the prisoners heard them, they were listening to them. And that word, heard or listening, is an important term because it, it carries with the idea, carries with it the idea of le- listening eagerly or intently to what was being said or sang. The kind of listening that one does, and it literally thrills the soul. They were listening to a sermon in song. That's why we want to impress upon you as individuals to sing with your heart and to sing out loud and to sing intently because it's bringing God the praise, the glory, and the honor he so deserves. I want you to contrast what they were hearing from the mouths of Paul and Silas. And contrast that with probably be what the prisoners had heard from their other fellow prisoners. Don't you know that they heard a lot of cursing, cussing, carrying on, that there were a lot of horrible things that were spoken by those that were inmates? And yet, these men, their reaction was completely different. Here they are praying to God, singing praises to God, and that says to us that their faith was great. These were men of great faith. Their faith was unshaken by what was going on in their lives. What happens when we are confronted with problems, with difficulties and trials? Our faith is shaken, isn't it, sometimes? We're brought to our knees. And yet, what do Paul and Silas do in the midst of their adversity? Well, they turn to God. They turn to God. And, in those times of difficulties, that's what she, we, we should do, is turn to God in times of difficulty. But then we need to see in the third place the fruit of their imprisonment, if you will. While in prison, Paul and Silas had the opportunity to, to share the gospel. They became prison evangelists. And this is not the only time that Paul was uh, uh, using the opportunity to share the gospel in prison. He's been in prison many times. He did this on a number of occasions, and no doubt there were many people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ from the mouth of Paul. And so first of all, consider with me now the midnight earthquake in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was this great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and every one's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Let me take just a moment to reflect on this. An earthquake, an unbelievable action or activity, That occurs. The earthquake was powerful enough, if you will, that it shook the foundations and opened the prison doors. The chains have been loosed, and those who were in stocks have been released. What does the Bible say about the jailer now? What happens to him in the midst of this unbelievable event? According to the Bible, in verse 27, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself did you know that in the ancient times that the Romans and the Greeks thought it was an honorable thing to take one's life in adverse circumstances in other words that this guy thought that the prisoners and especially Paul and Silas were going to escape they had been placed in his care for their safety And he was in charge of their well-being. If they had escaped, he knew that his life would be required. And so he thought it would be better for him to have killed himself to then be killed at the hands of his magistrates. Now, look at verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now let's notice what it said in verse 29. For the Bible says that he then called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Maybe these were torches with olive oil on them to allow them to bring light into this dark, dusty, dingy dungeon. But now verse 30 The jailer asked a very important question, probably one of the most important questions that anyone could ask, even today. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think with me for just a moment about the midnight evangelist. We talked about the midnight earthquake and all of these events are occurring at once. And now these men have the opportunity to do what? To share the gospel. To do what they're good at. Sharing the gospel. This man asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Two things about this question. Number one, it was a profound question. Very profound. Some may speculate that he's asking Paul and Silas what he needs to do to to save his physical life. Because he was about to kill himself. But it appears to me that the jailer is concerned about his spiritual well-being. We must understand that the Roman world and the people of Rome were paganistic in their ancient times. Many Roman Caesars, even including Domitian, saw themselves as deities. In fact, Domitian declared to be addressed as Lord and God in the latter part of the first century. But here we have a guy with pagan idolatrous background, the jailer. He has undoubtedly heard and seen Paul and Silas and their faith. He had probably overheard them discussing about Jesus. And so in light of all these these current events, he wants to know, what must I do to be saved? And they said, verse 30, verse 31... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Here's what we need to see here. Here's what I would call the foundation of faith. If you were to talk to somebody and they didn't know anything about God or Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, or about the Bible itself, where would you begin? If someone approached you and asked, what do I need to do to be saved? They may say, well, I hear a lot about salvation. I hear a lot of people talking about salvation, but what must I do to be saved? And keep in mind that from their perspective, that they know nothing about Christianity itself. They might not know anything about Jesus Christ. They they might not know that he was their savior where would you begin where would you start if they don't know anything about the one true living god isn't it true that you have to lay a foundation i always like to start with the authority of god's word because from that point on everything that i'm going to say is going to come from this so i have to lay a foundation when i begin a study with someone do you, do you remember when you first started school you know uh, today's equivalent is uh, the preschool or kindergarten but when ch- children started preschool or kindergarten what did they do they began learning their abc's they began learning their their 1 2 3's their, their teachers are laying down a, a foundation because they begin learning their abc's and then they're able to take those letters and form them into words and then they go into sentences what are they doing they're laying a foundation upon which to build from that, and of course the same is true with mathematics. A child learns his numbers; they begin to, then to learn to add and subtract, and then later on to be able to multiply and divide, and and oh, it just keeps on going from there. That's when they start losing me, I guess you'd say. But what are they doing? They're laying a foundation. Foundations are being laid. Why was it imperative that a foundation be laid here for this guy, the jailer, the Philippian jailer? Because this guy didn't know anything but what he was hearing through the prayers and the songs that were being sung. He needed to know, first of all, in whom he ought to believe. Isn't that what Paul and Silas said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Here's what Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 17: that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They had to begin by teaching him the Bible. Now having just said, have, now having said that, look at verse 32 of our text. Here's what Luke says. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. To all those who would be able to understand. And so the foundation was being laid. But then you have what I would call the fundamentals. That is the facts as they relate to their faith. For you see when Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the word Lord, the term Lord, carries with it the idea of a ruler, one who reigns. It would imply the deity of Jesus Christ. And so here are Paul and Silas, and they're speaking the word of the Lord to this jailer and to his household. And if we were to put ourselves in their position, and here's a guy that doesn't know anything, don't you think that it would be incumbent on them to say, hey, There was a man named Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea some years ago. And he came for the purpose of saving people from their sins according to Matthew 1 and verse 21. As a matter of fact, he came to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19.10. This man, Jesus, was deemed to be the Son of God. As a matter of fact, when he was crucified, one of the Roman centurions cried out and said, truly, this was the Son of God, Matthew 27, 54. He was not just a good man. He was not just a a social leader. He wasn't just a great preacher. He was the Son of the living God. And the Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die for sin. He came to die for your sin. If you look at verse 31, because we need to understand that you're a sinner and that sin separates you from God and that there is just one God and there is just one Lord. Notice what he says, verse 31. Paul said, believe on the Lord. Singular. Not lords, but Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer would say that Jesus tasted death for every man. Hebrews 2.9. And so they were laying a foundation, weren't they? They were setting forth the fundamentals of the faith. In that Christ died for our sins. In that he was buried. and that he rose again on that third day. 1 Corinthians 15.1-4. And thus then ascended to be with the Father on the right hand throne of God. In heaven, And so as they laid the foundations of the faith, as they began discussing some of the fundamentals, the facts about the faith, don't you know that they talked about the church that is the kingdom of God? Because after all those who become followers of Jesus Christ are part of this divine institution. We can go back to Acts 8 and verse 5 where Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And the Bible says that he preached Christ unto them. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. It was just a part of the redemptive plan. And so they were stressing these fundamental truths and foundational truths to this man. Now, having said that, look at verse 33, if you will. And let's think for just a minute about the forgiveness that is available through the faith, that is through this system of faith. Luke said, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. The implication is, is that their stripes had not been washed earlier, but that they were bleeding, suffering because of the rods and the, that had been laid upon their backs. And now this man, this jailer, is demonstrating a, a penitent heart, if you will. He's reaching out to care for them, physically speaking. Luke said not only did he wash their stripes, but immediately he and all his family were baptized. Remember what Luke said back in verse 32 that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. Now he says that all of his family members were baptized into Christ. Now wait a minute. Did you read anything there about baptism prior to verse 33? Was there anything said about that? Not one word. All Luke said is that when the jailer cried out, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved along with your household. Don't you think that there would have been a beginning point and that they had to believe that Jesus was the Son of God? that they had to come to an understanding that this man, the Christ, was who he claimed to be, that they had to come to an understanding that the fact that they were in sin and needed a Savior, because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Now, somebody might ask the question, then why then were they baptized? They were baptized so that they might enjoy the forgiveness of sin. Why is it so imperative to be baptized? Because baptism puts one into Christ. Therefore, they are in Christ. Galatians 3, 27. Furthermore, it also places us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And so you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, to contact the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 7. You can't be saved separate and apart from the blood of Christ. And the only way to contact the blood of Christ is to go where that blood was shed, and that blood was shed in his death altogether. John nineteen thirty four. And then Paul said in Romans 6, Three and four, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like his Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life? Yes. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ, and then secondly, we're placed into the body of Christ, which is called the church of Christ. How do I know that? In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, Paul said, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, right? And that one body is the church of which Christ is the head of the body, the church, Colossians 1, 18. And so this man and his household were baptized into Jesus Christ. And they were baptized so that they might be saved from their sins. In Mark 16, 16, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. That's called a quotation. That's not my interpretation of what the Son of God said in the long ago. That's a quotation. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. No if ands, or buts. On Pentecost Day, when the Apostle Peter preached that first gospel sermon, he told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, that is, in order to obtain the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Or, in other words, the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 22.16, when Paul recounted his conversion... To Christ, he said he was instructed by Ananias. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. You can't be forgiven outside of Christ. You can't be saved outside of Christ. You cannot be forgiven outside his spiritual body, which is the church. The only way to get into Christ the only way to be added to the Lord's church is by being baptized into Christ based upon your faith and believing that He's the Son of God, based upon your repentance of those sins that you have been committing, and based upon your good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And guess what? You will enjoy all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 3. But notice verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. He was a man that had been a pagan. He had been an idolater. His family members, no doubt, steeped in idolatry. But now he's a believer. But now they are a believer. He's a member of the body of Christ. He's a child of the living God. He's an heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. He enjoys all the blessings and the favors of Christianity. He's a part of now the family of God. My question is to you. Will you be willing to do what he and his family did some 2,000 years ago? Would you be willing to do that? By hearing the word of God, believing what is being read and, and taught there, That Jesus came to this earth to live and to die for you personally? That he's your savior and that you're a sinner? Are you willing to make a change in your life called repentance? To turn away from those things you've been doing wrong all this time, but now to start doing things right in accordance to the Bible? Are you willing to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then go down into the waters of baptism to come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ to have those sins literally washed away, Acts 22:16, to then be added to the Lord's church, Acts 2:47, and thus to be able to enjoy all the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3, and 7. We hope that you'll make that decision this morning because tomorrow may never come. Today might be the last day of the rest of your life until there's eternal life. And I hope that you have made that decision to make things right now. You might be already a child of God but wandered back off into the world of sin. Repent of that. Pray that God will forgive you and we'll pray with you and for you. But the time is now. We're going to sing this song of encouragement, number 207. And listen to the words of the song and see if it doesn't convict you to make a decision today. Won't you come?